Let's have a prayer together and we'll get started. Father in heaven, will we continue this subject? We pray that you will be our helper and our teacher, and we thank you for being that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Albert Sarr, you're going to continue on here. Okay. I would like us to read this um, statement. I, I see this a very powerful one. Said all who are under the training of God. You see here, God as a trainer, God trains us. Um, all who are under the training of God need the quiet hour for communion with their own hearts. We are going to practice this for five minutes. Uh, to commune with our own heart. See, uh, with nature and with God. In them, it is to be revealed a life that is not in harmony with the world, its customs or its practices. And the need to have, this is it, the need to have a personal experience in obtaining a knowledge of the will of God. We must, this is a must, we must individually hear him speaking to the heart. So being a leader, this is a must. To hear God speaking to our heart. See, we are so busy many times that you don't hear that voice. But it is a must. To be a good leader, this is a must. We must individually hear him speaking to the heart. When every other voice is hushed and in quietness we wait before him. The silence of the soul makes more distinct the voice of God. He bids us be still and know that I am God. This is the effective preparation for all labor for God. This is it. You see, this is a statement that can change, that can change our entire life and our entire leadership. You see, when you read the Bible, we are amazed and we are saying, well, God, God speaks to God speaks to people, and uh, we, we are saying, said, I want also God to hear that voice. Can you speak to me? I want to hear that voice. Lead us as well. So speaking, God speaks to our heart. So let's just have a, a little exercise here. Just three minutes in quietness. Listen to God speaking to our heart. And that is a practice that we need to do. Just listen. Sometimes we, we, we talk and talk to God. Oh God, I have this, I have this. But we don't give time to God to speak. Have you ever spoke to some, um, spoken to someone all the time he wants to talk? There is no time for you to even to respond. <laughs> Sometimes we are like that. With God. You just talk and talk and talk and God has no time even to interact. Said, you know God, I have this, I have this, I have this. Yeah, this one also, I have this. No time for God. 
Sometimes maybe God says, wait a minute, I want to share with you also this one thing here. We need to have this um, uh, interaction with God, listening, listening to God through the Bible, through the voice of the Holy Spirit. That is important. So let's take uh, three minutes. Just come in with God. Listen to the voice of God in the quietness of this moment and this time. This is practice. And every morning we need to do that. Every day at least we need to be quiet. Just listen. Let's learn to listen. Listen to the voice of God. Three minutes. Just listen to the voice of God. Okay, so that is just the beginning. Let's continue every day doing this as our practice. It's nice. What do you think? It's nice? Just listen to the voice of God. Okay, Elder Galimo, please continue. All right, I, I cannot underline enough... Um, I think it's Ian Bounds. How many of you ever read the book Power Through Prayer by Ian Bounds? Let me see your hands. It won't cost you much. It's probably a couple of dollars or so to get one. You can get them at most any Christian bookstore. He wrote in the mid-1800s. And uh, I can tell you that that, that that book changed my life. It changed my ministry. Um, and uh, it changed it early in my life. But uh, he says what the greatest need of the church today is is for God to get... Um, is for men to be able to get God to work for them and for God to be able to get men that will let him work through them. Those are my words. Okay, let's go on here. If a leader has reached a level of success and respect, why should he keep growing? It's very easy that you can look on your accomplishments and say, wow, you know, I've arrived here and and, uh, that kind of a thing. But if you live in the past, you're not going to grow. Your growth determines who you are and what you will become. I had somebody in my office not too long ago, and uh, and they were just, uh, you know, a, a little upset with me because I had not given them what they felt was enough uh, attention to help them grow. And I looked at the individual, and I said to that person, I said, I am not responsible for your growth. 
you know, there, there are a lot of people that just wait around for whoever is the head of the company or who, head of the organization, and they're and they're dependent on that person doing for them. And it took them back by a second. I mean, it was a pleasant conversation, it was unpleasant, but it took them back for a moment. And I says, yeah, let me let me say it again. I says, I I cannot be responsible for your growth. You've got to be responsible for your own growth. I can't do it for you. Uh, in, the, in the kind of job that I have, I can work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and still have nothing, and still maybe have nothing to show for it or get, or just have an endless. It's just endless. Uh, I was telling somebody during the break that I had a pastor. We lost in the ministry some years ago. And uh, because he just constantly uh, was working for He says, look, I'm working 90 hours a week. I says, you shouldn't be working 90 hours a week. 50, 60, I understand that, but not 90. And he says, you don't, you don't understand. I said, I do understand. I've pastored small churches and districts and large churches. He says, no, you don't understand. He says, my, my people have all these needs. And, and he says, I have to, you know, and he was... What he was doing is he was trying to meet everybody's need, plus the organization, plus all the preaching, plus all the teaching, and uh, and he says, I, you know, I'm just, I, I, I just can't get it all done. I says, no, of course not. Let me tell you what your problem is. I said, your problem is, and and he was a guy that very talented, very talented, and very driven. And he said, I said to him. Your problem is you're trying to play God. I mean, I know what it is to pastor and to see sorrow. I wish I could meet every, fix everybody's problems. I would love to be a Mr. Fix-It man. I look at Jesus sometimes, you know, he'd go through whole villages and when he left, nobody was sick. That's wonderful. But Jesus didn't give me that ability. I can't fix everybody's problem. So I have to ask myself, what is my role? How do I help people the best? That's what you've got to do. You've got to get your priorities straight. Getting priorities straight determines your growth and your excellence. I, I had somebody not, oh, a few months ago, and I brought them into my office and sat down with them, and I said, you know... You are so talented. You've got so many abilities. But you're over here doing X, Y, and Z. And while that's important, that shouldn't be number one on your list. You actually need to be doing A, B, and C first. And if you have to choose between them, do A, B, and C and let some of X, Y, and Z go. Learning to grow means learning to choose your priorities. Uh, here's a, I, I, I'm giving my illustrations out of church because that's where I live. But I, I say to pastors sometimes that maybe are struggling, they don't have any baptisms. I said, why don't you have any baptisms? Well, you know, it really worked and we did this and that. Yeah, so let me tell you, there's two ways that people become Seventh-day Adventists. You've got to think about your priorities. There's two ways. I said they either get Bible studies or they go to an evangelistic meeting. At the end of the day, they're going to go through that funnel. Am I right? At some point, somebody's either going to give them some Bible studies 
Are they going to go to an evangelistic meeting or they're not going to join the church? 99.9%. So I said, if you're not giving Bible studies and you're not having evangelistic meetings, you're not going to get any baptisms. So where do you put your priorities? Well, I'll tell you where I put my priorities, and that's training a lot of people to give Bible studies. So the more people I train to give Bible studies, the more baptisms I'm going to get. Does that make sense? It's learning how to get your priorities. And the real question is, is what are God's priorities for your life? It's not what my priorities are. It's what God's priorities are for my life. Okay. What you are and the vision of what you will become determines who you will attract. Anybody, if you're a young person's leader in a church, do you want to attract those young people? So what you are becomes the magnet that attracts people. In the work that I do, that particularly gets important. I am no better, our organization, our conference, is no better in, in any, any church you want to name than the pastor who oversees that. We are no better in any school, 46 schools, no better than the teacher who's in that classroom. Our LE program, our LE director sitting right back there, Camille Metz, wonderful. Don't tell any other conference about him. Just don't tell anybody about it. But our, our LE program is no better than what he makes it. I can't make it for him. He has to make it. And he is. So people become very important in, um, in moving anything. Uh, number three, who, who you attract determines the success of your organization. Who you attract determines how you're going to succeed. Now, if you're the kind of person, and I have to fight this every once in a while. I have to fight this because sometimes you say to yourself, I think I could just go do it myself. Have you ever done Don't raise your hand. But the thing is that what God is not is looking for in, in Christian leadership is not a one a one man band. You know what a one man band looks like? It's not really very musical. It doesn't really produce the nicest music. The nicest music is when you've got a whole orchestra. And what God is looking for is people that can get the orchestra together and lead the orchestra. But the leader of the orchestra doesn't play all those instruments. He can't play all those instruments. But he knows how to put it together. The most important thing a leader does is telling people which wall to get the ladder on. Not climbing the ladder. Not even always telling people how to get up the ladder. You can have managers to do that. But telling people, make sure this is the wall we're going to go. This is the route we're going to go. Jesus was very good at that. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He pointed out the way, and then he has disciples helping people to know how to get on there. It's very, very important. Um, so, and the next, there's, um, I has five ways to cultivate teachable attitude, and this are the next five ways. If you want a good teachable attitude. First of all, it says, cure your destination disease. Uh, Laura Nelson said uh, this 
um, and sometimes we run into this, we'll have somebody in our employee that is constantly worried about their tomorrows. That's all they're worried about. They're worried about their tomorrows. And so they're never happy. They're never satisfied. They're never settled. They're never getting anything done. Why? Because they're always worried where they're going to be next. Worried about their tomorrows. The lack of teachability is rooted in achievement. The more you achieve, the more you should be teachable. Ray Kroc, you know who he is? He uh, is the guy that was in charge of McDonald's. Maybe not a good illustration for Adventists, but he's got some wisdom here. As long as you're green, you're growing. And as soon as you ripe, you start to rot. Now, you know, I'm not as young as I used to be, and you can tell by the color of my hair. Um, but let me tell you one of the prayers and one of the promises that I've been claiming. And there's a promise in Psalms that promises that God in your old age will keep you green and full of sap. And that's what I'm praying. <laughs> I said, Lord, the older I get, just more sap, more green. I want to be more and more productive. I want to be like that tree planted by the rivers of water that keeps bearing its fruit in its season. Don't you want to be that way? We can be that way. I love that promise. You know, God knows that someday, you know, we're all old age positive, as one person said. You can't escape that. Someday we'll be rid of old age positive. Even a newborn baby's old age positive. You understand and uh, But God understands that, and so He gives us this promise. As the older we get, and, and when the age thing starts pulling us, He says, look, if you stay connected to me, I'll make you more productive than you've ever been before. So I just want to be more productive for the Lord Jesus than ever before. I get up in the morning, and I say, Lord, this day, and I don't want to lose this day, Lord. I, I, want, to, I, want, to, I want to hit it hard. I, I, want to, I want to be able to look back on this day and know that we have moved the kingdom of God. I want to see your action today, Father, in my life and in the work that you've given me to do. Let me tell you, God does not fail me. He does not fail me. The other thing is that you have to learn that you have to have God working outside of you. Did I mention that earlier? You've got to have God working. He is able to work outside. There are many things that sometimes I get a lot of things on my plate and a lot of things to do. And I say, God, look. I'm not going to get this accomplished unless you work outside of me. Lord, I've got to have the kinds of people. You know, the most important things that you have in leadership are human resources. I don't like that word, human resources. It sounds a little bit, I don't know what it sounds like, but I don't like it. I mean, it sounds too much like money or something like that. But people are very, very important. Extremely important. And I can take you to people in our office, people in our field. We have pastors, and I say to myself, thank God for those pastors because they're getting a job done. They're getting stuff done. Stuff is, I, was in a, I was in a church not too long ago, and, uh, and, and I was there to listen to their report and how they were doing with their plans, not my plans, their plans. And I was just sitting there just basking, just listening to the folk. They were so happy. They were, you know, we were doing this, and we've done this, and we're getting these kind of results. And they were just so excited. And when I got done listening to him, I said, you know, you're a happy church. Oh, yeah, we're happy, and our pastor's happy. We're just having a great time together. Uh, that's because the Spirit of God is working, and that pastor there has a vision, and he knows where he's going. 
And uh, he's got a plan on how to get there. You have to have plans, by the way. No plans, then plan to fail. Teachability. I, in, in ministry, when I was a pastor, I, I don't think I have it with me. I had a whole year calendar I laid out ahead of me. We lay out two years ahead of me. I can tell you every night that I'm going to be out visiting with my elders. I can tell you every night that I have planned on there to do visitation in the community. I can tell you every night when I'm, every time when I'm going to teach a course on Bible studies. I can show you the nights I'm going to have prayer meetings, the nights I'm going to have board meetings, and the nights I'm going to take people out to show them how to give Bible studies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you know what that does? It gives you a lot of security because you already, what you've done, you set your guide and you've got a strategy and you're working the strategy. And, and it gives you security. You know, a lot of people live their life, a, a lot of people just live their life from, you know, one day to the next. They hadn't thought too much about tomorrow. They hadn't thought about, about next week. And they're hoping that somebody will come along with something big that then creates some enthusiasm because they have no direction. You ask yourself, when you're pastoring a church, you say to yourself, where am I going to take this thing? You're pastoring, pastoring a youth group. I mean, you're the youth leader. Where, where are we going to go next year? Uh, what are we going to do? Uh, not what are we going to do next month. We should already know what we're going to do next month. What are we going to do next year? Next month already was decided way back there somewhere because it's in the plan. And we've got a strategy. What do we want to do? What do we want this strategy to accomplish? Is this strategy logical? In other words, why hold an evangelistic meeting if you've done no preparation? So how does the strategy make sense? Does it fall into place? You can raise your hands anytime if you want to ask questions. Yes, right there. Go right ahead. Yes. Uh huh. All right, good question. Let me see if I can repeat your question for the thing, see if I got it right. Um, she's saying, you know, how can we plan and still maybe not try to interfere with what God's plans are? Is that kind of what you're saying? And yet it's not fun to go to places that are chaotic. Uh, by the way, you'll find in the scripture, the Bible says that God is not the author of confusion. If you look at Ellen White's comment on that, she says that God will not put his seal of approval on stuff that doesn't have thoroughness and exactness to it. That's all very interesting. Uh, I think that what you do is that, first of all, you find out what... And we're going to talk about vision here after a while, and this can get into that. But, but you, you want to know what God's revealed plan. If you've got a, youth, a Christian Seventh-day Adventist Christian youth group, you ought to be able to go and find out what God's plan is for that group. Am I right? And then you ought to be able to say, okay, how do we want to make this thing work? And uh, what can we do for the next year? I always say that a plan is a work in progress. I always give people, God, the opportunity to come in and, uh, and make those changes. But I'm already working on his agenda, not my agenda. I'm working on his vision, not my vision. And so when I lay out those plans, then I'm, I'm working those plans and I expect God to bless those plans. God has a plan of salvation and he's working it right now in heaven as our high priest. Uh, the whole plan of salvation moved according to plan. 
Yes. Would, would you come in as a pastor? You come in, young pastor. Okay. Five months, and you have a plan. You have a plan of attack, and um, I have what I call a harvest plan. Yes, good harvest. Sowing, yes. Sowing, harvest. Right. Good. That's and good. Thank you. I laid that out to the church. The church was excited about it. Well, I have a plan, and it's called the Harvest Plan, Sowing, Growing, Reaping, Harvest. And I laid those plans out before I even got hired at the church. And they were excited about it. started out really exciting, you know, and, and we did this. I, I started this thing, but then as we got into the nuts and bolts of it, the excitement died down. And the... the <laughs> I'm in the dip. <laughs> well, so how do you keep that excitement, keep that enthusiasm, keep them on board with where they said they wanted to go? <laughs> tell you a secret. Please. It won't be a secret anymore. <laughs> it's all right. It shouldn't be a secret. Every leader knows that enthusiasm always wanes. So you plan on it. <laughs> Which means you work on keeping the momentum going. Now the master of momentum sitting on the front row, he understands momentum. Um, you can take a locomotive, and you probably heard this illustration, you put a penny in front of that locomotive that's sitting still, and you can't move it on the track. But once a locomotive is moving and you put the panty on the, on the track, it's, it's history. It's just flat, right over the top of it. A lot of times in our planning, we don't plan on motivation and keeping people motivated. It doesn't mean that you have to have a high-level enthusiasm. I mean, you don't have to pull people off the ceiling every week. But you've got to keep them on task and motivated, and you build that into your plan. So you ask yourself, okay, in about five weeks, what do I need to do? Uh, let me tell you what I'm doing right now. What we're doing right now is we have praise and report status. The other thing that we do is that we are calling our elders in. I've got the district superintendents. I just got the report back the other week. I said, ask the district superintendents, I said, why don't you call your elders together because we had an initiative with Elder Retsara. Why don't you call your elders together and here's, we'll put together a package of materials for you, but you do the training with your elders. You, do, you, you keep them focused on what we started at camp meeting. I've got elders emailing me saying, this is the most, and I wasn't there. I didn't, I didn't touch anybody. This is the most wonderful thing in the world because the Holy Spirit is helping us. Another, I had another elder show up in my office with a loaf of bread and a bouquet of flowers <laughs> saying, you don't know what this has done for I wasn't even there. I wasn't there. Why? Because we are looking at momentum. We're looking at keeping it going. So every leader says, I know that I get six weeks into this, eight weeks into this, the enthusiasm will wane. What am I going to do at that point to keep it moving? You got I know you got to talk here. <laughs> okay, just I have just discovered this text. Um, I believe maybe, maybe a year ago. So, Second uh, Corinthians chapter nine and verse uh, verse two, and the last part. 
And I think this is the key to keep a momentum. You know, one of the hardest, the toughest thing for us a leader is to keep momentum. Uh, and uh, we, need, we need to anticipate this. We need to, to do something. So this is the key. We talk a lot of, lot of keys here. Uh, in my version, it said, And your enthusiasm has steered most of them to action. Uh, verse okay, Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse two. For I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year you in Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has steered most of them to action. So this is the key, meaning. We need, first of all, we need to, yourself, you need to, uh, asking, need to ask God to, to stay enthusiastic. If you too, if you lose momentum, then don't expect people to keep the momentum. So it starts with you. Um, and secondly, have always few people, a lot of enthusiasm. And when they stand, uh, People cannot resist. Said, yeah. And thirdly, have activities to keep momentums. You know, momentum uh, is something like around activities and assessment, report, praising. Always do something. Don't think that momentum will just be, be there. You have to, to feed this all the time. And enthusiasm. Amen. Remember the locomotive still has to have energy or it loses momentum. You gotta keep moving. The enthusiasm is energy. Yes. One last question. Say uh, you're in a church and you have like a youth leader or a yeah. youth pastor. Yes. Uh, you have a really vibrant group, but say the youth pastor has to move away or the, even the pastor has to move away. Every, right. Everything just dies out now. How would you keep that momentum going? Because I've seen in many churches where, because I come from a D.C. metropolitan area, and a pastor, say, has moved out. Right. The whole thing just dies out. It's just saddens me to see that a powerful group for that community just yeah. dies out and vanishes. That way. How do you keep that thing going? Um, I, my, my response to that is, in, in order to really be the kind of leader God wants us to do is to reproduce ourselves and to work ourselves out of a job. Now, if you're insecure, that's a problem. But I keep looking for people who are stronger and smarter than I am. And that gives a lot of guarantee for the future because you have strong people to be able to step in and move when you're no longer on the scene. I mean, God forbid, I could die of a heart attack tomorrow. You know, one of the things, we just, we just elected a new conference secretary in Michigan. And um, because our secretary retired, we had a wonderful secretary of the conference. He's been such a blessing to me. I just, you know. And the time came to elect a new conference secretary. And we were praying. And I've gotten good, wonderful people. Nobody was jostling for the position. None of that. It was just... Lord, have your own way here. But the lay people on the executive committee 
several of them voiced this opinion and it cheered my heart. They looked at the list and they said, we have such a rich, strong group to pick from. That, and it just made me happy. <laughs> so when you plan, when, you, when you're leading a youth group, you want to plan to develop young people under you so when you move on to other things, you've got strong people stepping in place. No? Okay. Yes, Mike? I would think uh, in groups like that where you have somebody lose, or where you lose somebody, you should have been so well planned out that the group can continue on with those already uh, moving plans to continue through the end of the course and all of that. So uh, if something happens and the leader is gone, their plans still exist and they're basically still there, even if they're not physically present. Right. Well, you know, things do move on leadership. Personalities have a huge thing, and that's why it's nice to have plans, but if you don't have a leader that will lead it, that's why developing those leaders to step into your vacuum or step in your place are so very important. I'm watching this with GYC. You've got, you've got, some, you've got some very fine young leadership here, and what they're doing is they're saying, because you see Israel Ramos, for instance, uh, you beginning to lay down that torch and let somebody else pick it up. And I was at the last meeting, and that was the big topic of discussion. And, and the truth is, the truth is, they have such a bevy of talent and commitment that the leadership of GYC is just going to, it's just going to go because the leadership is there. They've attracted those kinds of people. And you're blessed for having that. You're blessed for having that. All right, let's... Uh, We'll go on. I didn't see any more hands, so we'll go on for a little, little further here. Um, anyway, the day you stop growing is the day you forfeit your future. You stop growing, you forfeit your future. Because God made us so that we do. So how do we overcome success? Now, that's a funny way of saying that. It's because, what, what they're really saying here is that a lot of people have a lot of success, and then they relax, and they run on their past experience. That's kind of pitiful, don't you think? I, I don't want to do that. I want to be able to look back in my rearview mirror. There's certain stuff I've already decided I want to see in my rearview mirror. Isn't that important? Because that, that, that charts my future. What I want to see in my rearview mirror starts in my future. In fact, sometimes the interview process, I shouldn't say that in here. But sometimes in the interview process, one of the things I say to people, I look at this, I say, hey, you've been pastoring for five years, seven years in a church. You're getting ready to leave. I said, what do you think people are going to say about you when you get ready to leave? So tell me something else. I said, you, you spent a life in the ministry and you're getting ready to retire. And now you're looking in your rearview mirror. What do you want to see? What would thrill your heart? What would make you happy? Important questions. Um... So we've got to overcome our success, meaning we've got to keep growing. We can't just sit back there on the success. Leaders know that what got them there doesn't keep them there. Here, here. What got you there will not keep you there. Because you've got to keep growing. If yesterday still looks good to you, you haven't done anything today. I like that one a lot. If yesterday still looks good to you, you haven't done anything today. Uh, this was on give up shortcuts. Now you have to understand something. My wife, I love to take shortcuts when I'm traveling. 
And my wife doesn't like to take shortcuts. I even had the, the Honorable Paul Ratsara with me one day, and I have one of these, is a GPS thing? <laughs> I was taking him through the backwoods and the back roads, just kind of a little thing of mine. Anyway, this, this GPS thing has a, a lady's voice on it. And it kept saying, you know, turn here, turn here, turn here, turn here, you know, and you, you passed it. Recalculating. And every once in a while he would say to me, you need to follow the lady. <laughs> um, shortcuts. In my context, they're okay most of the time, but my wife doesn't like them. She wants me to go home because it takes me a lot longer to go home. I, I, you know, but one of my ways of relaxing on Sabbath afternoon after I'm coming back is to roll down my windows and go to the back roads and get off the interstate. So that's what that shortcut business is about. Anyway, let me go back. Okay, the longest distance between two points is a shortcut. And we're talking about leadership here. This is where people just don't do it right. I learned the hard way on that. When I was early in the ministry, I was always trying to find a way to get a building built and this kind of thing for a lot less. Well, that's okay, but you better not cut out an architect. Do what you need to do in order to learn. Do what you need to do. What do you need to do to learn? Well, hey, you know, I don't know much about this particular thing, so we better go find out. We're always doing that. So, you know, I don't know anything about setting this up. Who does? I have people call me on the phone because they think I'm the president of the conference, and they think if they could just get to me, I can make a decision, you know, and do whatever they need to do. And I, I listen to them for a little bit, and I say, you know, I don't know a thing about that. But I can tell you somebody that does. You better go talk to them because they're going to be the ones telling me what to do on this particular issue. So I said, if you can't convince them, there's no sense in talking to me. Trade in your pride. Um, admit that we don't know everything and that can make us look bad. I think it's important to let people you don't. Just tell the truth. Just because you hold a certain position doesn't mean you know everything. I know some things about computers, but there's a lot of stuff I don't know about. And there's a lot of stuff I never intend to know anything about. But I got some stuff I do want to learn about computers. I just want... See, to me, computers are to serve me. They're just a machine. And I don't want, it, I don't want to become the servant of the machine. I just want the machine to, to serve me. Uh, admit that you, hey, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna build a building, admit you do, you're not an architect. You don't know much about building buildings. In our conference, if there's a building going to be built, I can tell you the people right now. I'm going to turn to and say, talk to those folks because they know they understand building. If I want to talk about soul winning, then find somebody that really. I was on a conversation a few months ago with some folk, and and they were talking about uh, reaching out to Muslims. And I asked the question, after a little while, somebody had some marvelous theories, interesting theories. I don't know if they were marvelous, but they were interesting. And I said, uh, is there anybody on this conversation that's ever won a Muslim? Quiet. And the person who had all the ideas said, no, you know, I, I've, not run, I've not won any Muslims. Uh, another person that was very quiet said, yeah, I've won one or two. 
I says, well, talk to me. What did it take to win a Muslim? What did you run into? Uh, Elder Ratsara says, he has a saying that I really like. He says, after we've had some success, we'll talk. Isn't that the way you say that? How do you say that? No, it's not easy. Is that it? I got it right. We have some success, we'll talk. Um, but pride gets into a lot of people's way uh, in leadership. They, they, they just don't want to look bad or whatever it is. Most people respect you. They respect your integrity. You, know, you stand up and say, if somebody asks you a question in a town hall meeting or in your church family or in a business meeting, you just say, and you don't know it, tell the truth. I don't know. But I thought you were the pastor. I, I am, but I don't know about that. I know about some other things, but I don't know about that. But we could probably find out who does know about it. Otherwise, if you've got somebody that's always got to know, and you've got to know everything about everything, you've got a fool for a leader. Somebody said amen. That was good. All right. Uh, the greatest mistake is to be afraid you'll make one. And, and let me tell you that in lead, whether you're youth group or whether you're the local elder of the church or whatever, you've got to take risks for God. And I believe in taking calculated risks. I believe in doing what God wants us to do. But if you're just afraid you're going to make a mistake, you'll never, you'll never take a risk and you really move. Ellen White talks about that, by the way. She talks about people who are needed that in the moment of crisis doesn't just hang back and hang back and have to have... I'm one of those guys, and sometimes I drive my wife a little nuts with it. I like as much information as I can get before making a decision. But sometimes you can't get all the information, and you have to make the best decision that you can make based on the information that you've got. And then you just have to say, here's the information I had when I made the decision, and that's why we made the decision, but I didn't have the information that I have now. If I had the information that I have now, I'd probably make a different decision. But she says that sometimes it's better to make a poor decision than to make no decision because of just being indecisive. You must risk something for God. Nothing moves. Did God take a risk? I just reading Hearing Desire of Ages on the way over here. And in one of those chapters, she talks about the awful risks. She says, you know, we bring a baby into the world and you look into that baby's face and you realize what that baby's going to be up against. All the temptations that are come and, and the risk that's involved. She says that God the Father took no, no less of a risk when He sent His only begotten Son who risked, who risked Him to sin. By the way, sin has appeal. If it didn't, it would have never attracted the devil. So he, he took a huge risk in submitting his only begotten son into this world for all of us. We take risk. I don't like sometimes to take risks, but you need to take risks. Sometimes I have to get out of my comfort zone. Do you ever argue with God? I was, uh, when am I supposed to quit here? Another 15 minutes? Yes. Okay. Another 15 minutes. Um, I got stuff right now I'm, I'm hanging out on. If God doesn't help me, I'm going to be in trouble. <laughs> it, but, but you have to do that to really move the work and you want to see the work. And then when you look back, you see how God has answered prayer and, and blessed. And You know, what if Jesus had said, well, you know, unless we get the, 
the disciples would have said to Jesus, listen to this, the disciples would have said to Jesus, look, Jesus, we really can't start the Christian church until we win the blessing of the Sanhedrin. When you get the blessing of the Sanhedrin, we'll start the church. We wouldn't be here today. You have to take a risk. Never pay twice for the same mistake. That's one I really like a lot. Um, the leader who keeps making the same mistakes makes no progress. Forget your mistakes, but never forget what they taught you. If you do, you'll pay twice for the same lesson. Uh, what that means is that you take stock. I'm, I'm talking to churches right now as, as they do their plans. One of the things I say to them is, after you look back over your, uh, after you look back over the year you've just passed, ask yourself these questions: What worked? Did it work? Did our plans work? Did we get the results we wanted? If we didn't get the results we wanted, why didn't we get the results we wanted? What would we do different? What changes would we make? What lessons did we learn? Don't be afraid of failure. Failure, I don't like failure. And there's sometimes I pray, pray, Lord, just don't let me make a mistake. I want to tell you that God has not always answered that prayer. I, he's allowed me to make mistakes so the mistakes could become my teachers. And sometimes I, you know, I, I like that, not to have to go through that. But I, I don't want to make the same mistake twice. I've had a few times I have to admit, though, I paid twice for the same lesson. If your leadership is getting better year after year, is your leadership getting better year after year or are you just fighting to hold your ground? Just fighting to hold your ground. Okay? All right. Um, uh, oh, we're going to get a division here. We've only got about five minutes. Any of you get... I, I must rather get in this morning. We, I guess we can get started. You want to get started? All right, let's get started. All right, Elder Ratsar, you come up here and get us started on this vision. This vision thing is huge, and we're not going to finish it in the next five minutes. We'll be back into it in the morning. Okay. If you don't have a vision, you need the supervision. <laughs> vision is very important in leadership. If you don't have one... You need a supervision. People who do not have vision, they need always to be supervised. Because they don't know what they want, and they don't know the way, and uh, there's no goal and uh, no drive for the Lord. So vision is important. But the way we see vision in church leadership is different. Uh, when we think of, uh, of a CEO of a, a corporate world, we are thinking of someone who can create a vision that can capture the imagination and the support of the team, which is good in a way. But we are different. For us, we don't need to create a vision. We just need to discover the vision. Because the vision is already, was given by God. And it is in the scripture. Sometimes we, we are busy creating vision. And neglecting the one that was already given by God. 
And you, you see the vision of God neglected, and then you have the human vision uh, taking the place of the divine vision. So we need to discover the vision of God. How to discover the vision of God? We want to keep time. Let's keep this for tomorrow. <laughs> um, how to discover the vision of God? I, I have some experiences to tell you uh, because um, the Lord really blessed that, uh, when we think of this vision. But as he said, uh, it takes some time and we, we don't want to go too, too much beyond time. I would like us to, to do justice to, to this vision. But let's start somehow and then we'll continue tomorrow. Um, I would like us just to remember this, that God has already a vision for his church. And God has a vision for you as an individual. So our role is to discover the vision, the plan of God for us. It is already there. It is up to us to discover. Um, you know, in leadership, we, we need to have a strong vision. And that is the vision of God. I, I like to study the life of Jesus because he is our leader. We need to follow him. And himself, he followed his father. Study the life of Jesus. The, for example, the New Testament. And you will discover that it is always Jesus was saying, Okay, this is to fulfill what is written in the book of Isaiah. This is to fulfill what is written in this book. Meaning, what Jesus did on earth. It's just to study the vision about him. The prophecies. He studied the prophecies about him. And the same thing with John the Baptist. If you study the book Desire of Ages, uh, the time he spent in the desert, uh, it, that was not an idle moment. He studied the Bible, the prophecy about himself and about Christ. And also studied the events. And then when he, uh, he discovered the vision, he came out. So this is the method. Study the vision in the Bible. The prophecies, the plan of God for his people. For you individually first, we, can, we need to discover that through personal relationship with God. That's why this idea of listening to the voice of God is so crucial in our Christian life. To know the will of God. What is the will of God for you? That must be clear through prayer, through Bible studies, and through studying the different circumstances and events surrounding you. This idea of Trying to listen to the voice of God. Talking to our hearts and our minds. That is the key. And we cannot hear the voice of God if we are not open to him. We may pretend to hear the voice of God. But that might not be.
the voice of God. So we, not, we need to clear the way. That is the one thing. Clear the way so God will communicate to us. God can use also people, godly people, to help us to see the vision. So for us, we need to see um, the vision of God, the plan of God for us individually. Then, for the church, for the church, it is all there. How? This is our advantage. When you think of the other denominations, they don't really know what will happen. We have the prophecies. What is prophecy by definition? Prophecy is history written ahead of time. That is prophecy written, history written ahead of time. And we as a church, we have history written ahead of time. And that is prophecy. So we just need to study the prophecies and transform them into plans. This is what Jesus did. He studied the plan of redemption. He studied the prophecies. And every day, he, he acted accordingly. According to the prophecies about him. It is all there. And the same thing for us. We need to study the end time prophecies. We need to study what God has planned for his church. For the local churches. What God has planned for the youth. For, for your church. And through the studies of the scriptures and the spirit of prophecy. You see light. And you see those prophecies. And those are your vision. Those are your plans. You just translate them into the reality of your, your church. The content is just the same. Only the package that you can change. Sometimes we are busy even changing the content. Uh, well, the, the content must be the same. The package may change here and there because, you know, we are in the 21st century and so on. But never the content, but only the package. The way you, you present it to the congregation, the way you present it to the young people, that one you study the context. But the, con the content, the vision must be discovered. You, we need not to create vision. We just need to discover. And that is revelation. God still leads. God has never said, you know, I, I don't lead anymore. I stopped doing those things. You know, I'm old now. <laughs> I, uh, I used to do those things. But, you know, these times of, of computer and so on, I don't reveal myself anymore. No. God still speaks. And God still reveals through the spirit of prophecy, through the Bible, and through the voice of the spirit. Tomorrow we will expand this. So come. Okay. I think our time is up. We need to keep time. Let's stand as we pray.
on your project. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for being our leader. And thank you for sending Jesus to be our leader. Please help us to be really good followers. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was produced by Audioverse and Hope Media Ministry for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to listen to more great media like this presentation, or if you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. You can also find great witnessing media at www.audioverse.org and at www.hopevideo.com.